0: Well, if you would, go ahead and bow with me again as we turn to the Lord in prayer. May the Lord prepare our hearts for His Word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come this Lord's Day, and we come and we echo the words we just sang that we need You every hour And that is not just a phrase that we say, but it is true, and may it be true in our hearts. May it be true in our hearts right now, Lord, as we are gathering as much as we can right now with everything going on. May it be true in our hearts as we are preparing ourselves for hearing your word May we not come to your word as those who think that we may sing, I need thee every hour, but really, I'm just fine as I am. Lord, may you work in us, may you humble us, because I don't know, I know certainly for me, I'm always in need of more humility and in need of being humbled in so many areas in my own life that... I need you, Lord, and we just uh, which is every area, without division, without borders, without um, walls up, and may each of us here and those tuning in online that right now they would come and, and come ready to hear all that your word says, and may your name be exalted. may Christ. Be lifted high this morning. May our hearts be evermore yours. May you conform Haven Baptist Church into the image of your Son. May you conform any and all who know you this morning that are listening to Christ. May you conform them to you. May you be with those who perhaps are listening who do not know you. May you open their hearts to the truth of the gospel and help them to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray for your hand, we pray for your face. May you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we are continuing in the Gospel of John. And we just finished John chapter 6, where, if you remember, we read about bread Jesus doing many things, the feeding of the 5,000, and how specifically Jesus is the bread of life. Now today, then, we are continuing on past John chapter 6 into the next chapter, and it's verses in John chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Now as you turn there, I don't know about you, and I don't... I know we're not quite there yet, but I personally love holidays. You know, I, I love, you know, in uh, Thanksgiving, I enjoy celebrating uh, the time of remembering what God has done and His goodness that He has shown me and, and really shown all of us and uh, His kindness that He has shown us and remembering these things and thanking Him for His goodness. I especially enjoy Christmas, you know, reflecting upon Christ and His birth, and worshiping our Lord who has come for us. You know, and of course, I enjoy all the other things that come with that. You know, spending time with family, you know, uh, having fun together and uh, playing games together, and uh, you know, opening gifts and all these things, and all that comes with those holidays. Well, in our text this morning, we come to a particularly special celebration, a holy day for the Jews called the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. And this special feast will provide the setting for what comes ahead, and probably perhaps in ways that you didn't think were all the way there, but they'll stretch on all the way into chapter 10. This feast. Yet as we soon will find out, celebration or not, this celebration or feast would not keep opposition against Jesus at bay, but it would become all the hotter, even to the point of boiling over. So let's read here then, beginning in verse 1, and I'll be reading until verse 13 here. So may God bless the reading of his certain and good word. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, and so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast. For my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up. Not publicly, but in private. And the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he's he's leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. As we begin this chapter here, so similar to chapter 6, if you remember way back then, (laughs) We have a lapse in time here between these two chapters, likely spanning some six months. So the other Gospels record what happened in those times, but here we kind of just continue on six months later. And also, like other breaks and transitions, this transition is introduced, as you've been noting as we've went along the way, these feasts, well, this is also introduced with another feast. Now, the feasts that we read of in Scripture can be you know, rather foreign to us, since we don't often think of them, you know, or celebrate them. So, it's appropriate, if you are already doing this, or if you have already done this, one to wonder about just what was this Feast of Booths, or Feast of of Tabernacles, or a Feast of the gathering, So, this was a feast celebrating God's goodness, celebrating God's deliverance of Israel, where they are solemnly remembering the time that they went about in the wilderness, in booths or tabernacles in the wilderness. So, over seven days then, In the Jewish lunar month of Tishri, which would be September or October in that range there to us, what they would do is they would build booths made of light branches and leaves to live in for the week. And so, kind of celebrating this, remembering what God has done. And it was such a a great holy day or holiday, a great celebration that the Jewish historian Josephus, in the first century, he wrote of this feast, and he said it was the greatest and holiest feast of the Jews. It was a big deal. Think of Thanksgiving and Christmas, perhaps to us, or even Christmas in particular, or Easter. It is this feast that we have before us here, then, which sets off this conversation between Jesus and his brothers. But here is where we see Jesus' unflinching resolve to his calling and to his mission and to the timetable of the Father. So here we see first the call to live under the agenda of the Father. We see this in a lot of places here verses 1 through 6, verses 8 through 10. This is where Jesus, or this is what Jesus did, living according to the agenda of the Father. And He would not compromise His resolve, His heart, His disposition, His aim, not even for one moment. So in view of this feast then, Jesus' half brothers, they urged Jesus, as we just read in verses 3 through 4, they say, Go to Judea. You know, let your disciples see you and let the world see who you are and see the wonders that you do and you can do. But this would not do. Jesus' timetable was in submission to his Father. My time has not yet come. This is different than the hour we've already seen in John. This isn't the same word, the hour, meaning like his death and burial and crucifixion. You know, This isn't that hour. This is talking about the agenda of the Father. So in contrast... To his brothers, his aim, Jesus' aim, was not worldly in nature. His brothers, they had their eyes on worldly advantage. You know, go ahead, let the world know who you are. Let the world see what you can do. Well, we can ask here, and we can pretty readily know what the world would do with a worldly Jesus. Well, how do we kind of know something like that? Well, remember what we saw back in chapter 6. So, John chapter 6, verse 15. If the world had their way, they were going to make Jesus the worldly or worldly puppet prophet king there and then, contrary to the agenda of the Father. That's not why He came. And I wonder... You know, with this, his brothers and this worldly mission that they have in mind, or worldly aims, I wonder how many of you have been told something like what the brothers were saying to Jesus in one way or another. You know, go and gain all the world has for you. You know, you know live it up. You have your health, you're young. Uh, maybe... You have your health, maybe you're young. Go to college, live up the fullest life you can have. You're young, you know, you're still a child. You know, you can just be free, eat what you want, do what you want. None of it really ultimately matters. So what does that, where does that come from? You know, where does that mindset come from? You know, I, I think of myself, and I know I'm younger than others, but if my last day is tomorrow, I'm old in this world, I'm getting ready to leave. And what did I do with my life up until this point? And if I'm leaving tomorrow, did I, not, did I waste it? Did I live for the world? Did I just take in what they say? Oh, you're young now, you know, as a child. Live it up, or you're going to college, just live it up. Oh you have your health and you're young, live it up. Well you may not be so young when you do not know what's when your last day will come. so I wonder, and I'm sure you've heard these kind of things before, but ironically enough here, Jesus' brother's words you know we. They're saying this, and perhaps they don't have an ill intent in mind, specifically. They're thinking of their brother, and they may, but they may not. But their words were not born out of faith in Jesus, and really in faith in God's mission that he has for Jesus. But they were born out of unbelief. To their words, it says in verse 5, For not even his brothers believed in him. Now, we're told in Acts 14, they would eventually follow Jesus and believe. But this is in Acts 14. And they don't believe right now. But Jesus' aim, it was not that, it was not a worldly aim. And I find it interesting But this was not merely a mild point here. This was so important, Jesus would not be moved from his mission. And so consider yourself as well. Unbelief and worldliness can affect whether you are about the Father's business or not. And this is no small point for us to ponder this morning for us. Church, this may well be right here where we have derailed in America. I mean, beyond America. Charles Spurgeon, he said, I believe that one reason why the Church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. So could it be that the agenda of the Father has fallen second to the world's? And I mean, I want us... Not to be like preacher hearing that, but I want us to like really hear and ask ourselves, as the body of Christ, a haven, as individuals, that day here, how did it get to where it is right now? Well, I think a lot of things. It was certainly a nominal kind of ask that question. It's a nice preaching question to ask, not really a question I'm going to deal with in my own heart, not really a question that I'm going to deal with, at, or we're going to deal with as a church, but God wants us to, and we may, may well have been going on, you know, with everything on going on around us, you know, COVID and the presidential election and unrest, but Lest we forget, we are not part of a kingdom that is shaken, even for one second, by the transitory happenings of this world. So whose agenda are we living under? And I think the, the frog in the watery pot analogy here, if you know what I'm talking about. I think you do. So as the heat you know, slowly rises and is gradually turned up, the frog you know remains unmoved. Even once the heat becomes you know imminently dangerous, it's just sitting there. It will die in that pot, unmoved by the heat. So you wonder what the strategy of the spiritual forces of darkness has been over these past many years. And it has not been this massive thrust of worldliness that the spiritual forces of darkness are saying you need to give in to. It has been a gradual worldliness. A gradual, slow turn away from the aims of God, from His word, and from His commission. The pastor or the missionary or the evangelist. That is their job. To know the Bible. To know the names of God. To know the Great Commission. And to do it. Not for me. For my children. And my neighbors. And my co-workers. And my family. And for others around me. So God... He is calling us back to Him. He is calling us back to His Word. He is calling us back to His great commission and to let Christ be truly our all in all in every area of life with no walls up. I think of cubicles. And I think that perhaps over the last years has been what Christianity has been. I have my Christianity cubicle here, and then I have my work cubicle here. I have my family cubicle here, and really none of them are going to overlap. And especially this Christian side of things, it's going to stay here in this cubicle, and I'm not going to let it into any of these other ones. Where do we get that from? It's not from the Word, it's not from Jesus, not from God. So, worldliness. And so, Jesus' aim was not worldly. And He, 2nd subpoint, He was set to God's timetable. He was set to God's timetable. So, see that in verse 6 and 8 and 10 as well. So, while Jesus was set to the Father's clock and timetable... His brothers, they had worldly wrist watches. And so Jesus, he tells them, as they are telling him these things, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. You fit right in. (laughs) Side note, I mean, is that true of you? You just fit right in? No distinction? Your time is always here. And then again, in verse eight, he tells them, "You go up to the feast. I'm not going to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come." And he's not talking about like he's going to the cross. He's talking about the agenda of the Father, the timetable of the Father. Because he uh, we see it here. He didn't mean that he would never go. We know he does. We see it right there in verse 10. But it wasn't the Father's time for him to go. Even to these hours and minutes, you go ahead. We're not told why he needed to wait, but he did. And he remained in Galilee Galilee until the Father said, All right, it's time, go. So Jesus would not waste one moment. so he waited. We so often think that waiting is counterproductive. Wow, you know, I get that. I've been there. I've had to wait for a lot of things. And that's hard. But sometimes the waiting is actually not the wasting of time, God is right there having you wait. Working in you, molding you, changing you, teaching you, developing character in you, conforming you to Christ. So, Jesus, he didn't go so he wouldn't waste his time. And so, he was so aligned with the will of the Father that the Father's word was his directive. Jesus lived at the bidding of the Father. And this, this, that, was and is the unwasted life. It isn't worldly acclaim. You're going to be pressured that way. It's not becoming a worldly king, like Jesus was being pressured to do. It's not gaining greatness in the eyes of the world equaled a life unwasted, but it was his life wholly lived unto God. I remember, you know, years ago, reading a story of John Piper told of his father. And he told how his father, who was an evangelist, had seen a man come to faith in Christ in his old age. And after many years of prayer, you know, the church praying for him and longing that he would see the good news and trust in Christ and put his faith in, in Christ, um, they had prayed and prayed, and yet this man was still hard. He was still resistant and still obstinate to the gospel. And so Piper, he tells the story, but this time, for some reason, this man showed up when my father was preaching And at the end of the service, during a hymn, to everyone's amazement, he came and he he took my father's hand and they sat down together on the front pew of the church as the people dismissed. And God opened his heart to the gospel of Christ and he was saved from his sins and given eternal life. But that did not stop him, this old man, from sobbing and saying as the tears ran down his wrinkled face, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. Well, Christ would not waste it. And I wonder, have you considered your own life? Are you wasting it away on the agenda of the world rather than the agenda of the Father? What direction are you aiming your life? Examine it, friends. This is not a call to God's unrevealed will, but to His revealed will in His Word. Are you aiming it, your life, regardless of your job, This is not a call for all of us to go and be pastors somewhere and be missionaries. Evangelists, this is a call for where you are. Are you aiming it where you are presently, your job, your upbringing, your plans and your goals? Are you aiming it at Christ, at God's word and the will of the Father, or is it something else? Now, as we continue here, so still replying to his brothers, Jesus, he says there in verse 7, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. Now, Jesus is not going too far here. If you just think about this for a little bit, you might think that. Hate is not too strong of a word for the world. They do hate Jesus, and they hate him. (laughs) The world does. They do. And even beyond them, the world as a whole, including you and me, prior to faith in Christ, we had a deep opposition towards God, towards Jesus. And we hated Him because He exposes us. And He exposes the depth of our evil and separation from God. How dare you say those things about me? So we would rather keep going and thinking that we're just fine than hear all these things from him. Now you may say, well, I never had hate in my heart for Jesus though. Well, I get that. It may sure seem that way. But Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And I think that we would do well to trust less in our hearts and trust more in the Word of God. So listen to these condemning words over you and me from Romans 3. You've heard them many times, but with this verse before us in verse 7, hear it again. None is righteous. No. Not one. No one understands. And Who's left out? No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. All. Together they have become worthless. That was you. That was me. No one does good. Not even one. Not even Mother Teresa. Not even Gandhi. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 310 through eighteen and that's true of you and me. So hate is not too far. so it is that we see here that they were intent on killing him, Jesus. and Jesus knew that he knew they We're intending to do this. Verse 1 of chapter 7, He will know He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill Him. So at this point in Jesus' life, the Jews, they were primed and pumped to take His life. And this is why they were looking for Him there during the feast in verse 11. Where is He? I think there is a a bit of a vindictive kind of Thrust behind it because of verse one, they were looking for him and not in a good way. And this is part of the reason why Jesus goes privately to the feast as well. Now, for those who of you who are like, you know, I'm just all about being bold in every single way, in every category of my life. Well, let's bring it in a bit, a, bit, a little bit, and see there is wisdom in wisdom. <laughs> Wisdom and he didn't just go right in there and, hey, everyone, I'm here, you know, and he didn't do that. And we see this in other places too, seeing Paul flee in Acts and other places. So we need to be wise. So it was no theory. They truly hated Jesus and they wanted him dead and the hostility towards Him it was real and severe and readied and when He leaves Galilee in verse 10 He leaves there for good the world behind Him the cross is before Him and they weren't only intent though on killing Jesus then they are now as well they still are So, the hate the world has for Jesus, it did not end when he was crucified. So, Paul, he tells us in Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. And so, people all around us, they are still... Persecuting Christ by persecuting his church. So their hate is still on display. And this hatred it is evidenced and displayed all around the world. The pandemic hasn't halted it. In fact, in some places, it has only gotten worse. Yet, what we are seeing, even now, all around the world, believers are still testifying to Christ. And some, even to death, even now. Only a few months ago, June of this year, a 14-year-old boy in India, he was stoned to death for his faith in Christ. And for his boldness in sharing the gospel. That was in June How greatly, and this this is an asai, you know, how greatly God is calling us and one another to pray for our brothers and sisters in the Lord who are being hated for Christ's sake. Because they are still. And we have seen also this hatred in America as well. America has been growing increasingly hostile towards the gospel and towards Christians why not us but Christ in us so the hatred hasn't ended they're seeing Christ in the church now as you hear all this you may think well you know I don't I don't want that I don't want to be hated I am out of here I didn't know I was signing up for that when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. I thought that was just a nice Christian saying that people say to make a very you know, powerful, kind of uh, meaningful point. Well, Jesus did mean that. And friends, let me urge you that if that's what you're thinking, that this is not reason for you to flee from Christ. It is a reason for you to flee to Christ. Hate is not evidence of the falsity of the Christian faith, but further evidence of its veracity. It's evidence of Romans 3. And I encourage you to listen to the words that we heard only, what, two weeks ago. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So, wholly give yourself to Christ. Holy, follow Christ. Cross and all. Hatred and all. It's not a strange thing that these fiery trials are coming upon us, as Peter says. This is why. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. So do not be dismayed, do not be afraid. Remember the words of Christ, it is I. Do not be afraid, and so leave all and follow him. If you don't know Christ this morning... He is true, he is humble, and he is worthy. He is the Savior. He is the one who really has the words of eternal life. So leave all and follow him. Live your blessed life. Live the best life now is what we've been told. Jesus says what that best life may look like is a cross. And that is is the best life, following your Lord and Savior, the one who is and can redeem you from death and hell and the separation you have presently from God if you don't know Him. So may you go to Him who came for us and who's calling you from hate towards Him and to a kingdom that will never falter, it will never perish, it will never fade, regardless of the transitory passing ways of this world. He saves, and when He saves, He saves to the uttermost. So, under God's agenda then, sometime after Jesus' brother's went up to this feast amidst the hate Jesus went up to the feast as well the time had come and there the people wondered about him you know where is he saying all variety of things about him and here is where we see our last point this morning we see the people feared the wrong people the people feared the wrong people they were in the midst of this feast and they were muttering whispering about Jesus now you know some bible translations perhaps yours identify this word as grumbling here but i think it's more likely that this word is connecting itself with verse 13 and the people's fear of the jews so that it's less about their grumbling and more that they are Whispering out of fear of the Jews. And so they're they're whispering or muttering, he's, he's a good man. Or they're just saying, no, no, he's leading the people astray. And so it is from this fear that we see this kind of slight and subtle push. The Jews hate had so boiled over that the people knew that it was unwise to talk about Jesus without restraint. There was this oppressive air about the Jews. And people knew they needed to tread carefully, otherwise they themselves would get in trouble. But let's just say and see here that this is not a characteristic of godly leaders. I can think of instances that I'm not going to share here, but of people like that. We see here a picture of legalism, a picture of a gospel religion, people intent upon maintaining their power and position rather than any real concern for the truth of God. So the people shrunk back at their hatred of Jesus. And you may be tempted to do the same. It's different talking about hatred of the world and experiencing hatred of the world. There's been a steady, slight, and subtle push that is now becoming not so slight and not so subtle in our days amidst such a culture, our culture that has Over the years began turning the pressure up on Christ's church. It has now moved from the slight and subtle to more and more blatant. So you see the relevancy of it. The slight and subtle push. The slow fear arising in your heart toward the world. We don't know yet what is ahead, do we? I pray that God would bring a Revival. Awaken the lost. It may well come, it may not. This hostility may continue, and if it does, you need to ask if you are fearing a right. If it does, or if it doesn't, we need to fear aright, and we need to fear God and not men. So, contrary to fearing the wrong people, fear the good God. So out of fear of God, so live and so speak. Be wise, be humble, wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be loving, be bold and live for Christ and speak and proclaim Christ to one and to all. We need to be a knee-bowing people and set ourselves to the agenda of the Father. That is a fear of God. So fear God, church. Fear Him. So abound in prayer. Fear Him. So abound in love for one another. You want to know what boldness is? That's boldness. Fear Him. So keep Reaching for that one, your one, that we began the year with this year. Vision 2020, not knowing what's ahead. Fear Him, so make disciples. Fear Him, so love your spouse. Fear Him, so obey His word. Fear Him, so pursue unity within the body of Christ. Fear Him, church. Fear Him and let us aim our lives under, under the agenda of the Father and trusting our lives, our futures, and all we are to Him. Let's do this for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord, and we thank you for chapter 7, verse 1 through 13. I just know as I've been walking through this gospel personally, just seeing your mercy and seeing who you are and seeing who Jesus is, just incredible. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and giving us your word that this morning you're able to preach freely. May you help us, Lord, as we are able to hear your word this morning where others have to scramble for it. Others have to try to at least have one page of the Bible and hopefully they can read that again and again and someone won't take that away from them. Even just one page. One page. We have the whole thing, and so help us, Lord, not to take these things for granted. Help us, Lord, to consider the things that we've seen this morning in your word. Help us to ask these things of ourselves. Help us to repent of a nominal Christianity and to repent of it again and again. And as it rises its ugly head, we would crush it again and again by the power of the gospel by the Spirit of God. So help us, Lord. We pray, Father, if there are those listening or here who don't know you, who have hated you, may you help them even now to see their depth of need for Christ and the gospel and see their need for salvation, the need to be made right with you, that this weight that they've been carrying around. These burdens, this darkness, this dirtiness, there's a reason for that. It's a debt of sin that they can never get rid of outside of the work of Christ, and trusting Christ and Christ alone who came to bear the weight of their sin upon himself, that all their sin and debts would be forgiven forever. And they would be made right with you. So, Father, we pray even now you may help them to understand and see these things and see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Not hatred, but love. So, Lord, lead them to you. May they turn to you and respond. May you give us grace as we respond. This next song, may you help us to respond. And beyond these moments, may you help us. So we look to you and we love you. And we pray also in Jesus' name, amen.